0: You gotta be careful when you pick fights. Something is bothering you inside.
1: That's your insecurity bothering you.
2: I'm Garrett McQueen I'm Scott Blankenship and this is Triloquy sharing the power structures of classical music <laughs> nice nice <laughs> shout out to Evan he helped me come up with that one yesterday on our little social distance walk Evan the mixer here of Triloquy uh, welcome to the new listeners welcome to the returning listeners always great to have you back uh, Opus 59 here um, do you have any uh, pre movement one announcement Scott
1: no but I know that you've got several so
2: we well got I, I have a, I have a few announcements uh, first and foremost I want I want to wish a uh, happy birthday to um, Katie Brown, you know, our sister over at the Classically Black podcast. She is turning a whole 27 years old today, Scott. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so shout out to Katie. Uh, <laughs> happy birthday. Um, I want to uh, shout out uh, Damari McGill and Jerry Lynn Johnson. Damari McGill um, is a, uh, you know, a flute player extraordinaire in the world. And we had a nice little uh, chat over this past weekend. So uh, I hope to uh, uh, to speak with him again and have him on Triloquy. His brother, Anthony, is going to be on Triloquy next week, actually. So uh, that's exciting. And then Jerry Lynn Johnson, she leads the Black Pearl Chamber Orchestra based in Philadelphia. You know, always great to um, connect with her. So, uh, yeah, definitely um, uh, check out Black Pearl as well. Um, I want to say hello to everyone over at the Boulanger Initiative. We're going to talk about uh, something I did with them earlier um, uh, last week um, uh, with Laura Downs and, you know, some of her music. She's uh, a music. Is going to help us strike, uh, strike a chord this yeah, week. I got a shout out for her. Um, I want to uh, shout out the youth orchestras of Los Angeles. Uh, one of my accidentals this week actually comes from uh, my experience talking with them uh, earlier last week. So, shout out to the youth orchestras of Los Angeles. And uh, lastly, here in the um, announcements, I want to shout out one of my favorite composers, Nicki Minaj, who gave us our cold <laughs> open today. I will be addressing um, something um, in that spirit. In the fourth movement So I hope you'll stick around for that uh, Before we uh, get into the first movement Actually, Scott uh, Did you want to introduce this little th- This new toy of yours to the, uh, to yay, the... <laughs> So tell everyone what you have
1: <laughs> This is a an Ableton Push 2 And, you know, it just uh, You can assign different sounds To different uh, buttons here
2: <laughs> You know, that's our The that's, end of, of 2 there But our problematic alarm That's maybe. our problematic alarm <laughs> Oh, that's when something sexy happens. Question
0: right. I wake to in the morning and pass out with at night. What's my popularity with my fellow white people?
2: Okay. Okay. Let's let us <laughs> let us get into movement one. Okay, uh, checking our accidentals here. Um, in, in last week's Triloquy, I said that I was going to um, find a time to talk to Josh Wallerstein about some uh, black and Jewish relations. Uh, we'd, we'd, uh, we couldn't find the uh, time this past week, so I'm just putting a natural there. That is coming. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, sharing that with everyone. Um, well, for
1: those who don't know, give a little bit of background on what he wants to do.
2: Okay, so um, lately, so it, it happened um, when we uh, got to the Fourth Movement last week, talking about Nick Cannon and what got him canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of opuses ago, we uh, talked about violinist Louis Farrakhan and how that, you know, ruffled some feathers. And it all boils down to something that I hadn't thought about a lot, you know, the um, the struggles between Black and Jewish communities, you know, sort of the, the, fr- the friction there and, and, and different opinions and things. So I'm just going to leave it there for now until you know i have a little chat with josh Wallerstein and and others you know because no one is the representative but uh yeah but yeah i i think that's uh, an important conversation that needs to have so anyway shout out to josh Wallerstein. um uh, i forget which opus number excuse me uh that he was in but um yeah uh he, he was in season one and then he has his own uh podcast called sticky notes if you're uh unfamiliar so yeah you've definitely been on check that, out one that too yeah i have um so um for my second accidental you know so i mentioned yola in, in the announcements, the Youth Orchestras of Los Angeles. Um, so, you know, I, I gave this talk. Uh, shout out to Alex Lang, who uh, helped me facilitate that talk. You know, we got into uh, the pathways of classical music. What does the career look like? Some of the pitfalls, all that sort of thing. Um, and it gets to the question and answer portion. And I told you this earlier. So the first question um, from the from the young ones was what? <laughs> so what's your Instagram? <laughs> so I gave them uh, my Instagram. But, uh, but I forgot, Scott, that... There was actually a pretty poignant question that I wanted to uh, pass your way. One of the kids asked me, um, over the course of your career and development, what has been your lowest moment so far? Now, that's an interesting question to get. I I, I don't think I'd ever been asked that question in in that sort of form. And, you know, I... um, I, I gave an answer, but I, but I'm curious about you. If if a, if a young one is asking you something like that, especially as it applies to the path that lies ahead, you mm-hmm. know, what are some of their pitfalls? What what would you tell a kid was your lowest moment or one of your lowest moments along the way?
1: I'm frequently experiencing them. Right now,
2: talk more about that.
1: Well, there's been a, a couple instances uh, at work where I was not successful in getting promotions mm-hmm. or you know, um, more responsibility or whatever you wanna say. And um, now with the way COVID is and the work that I've been doing with you here on the podcast, I I just kinda feel like my dreams are always just just out of reach, you know? And it's fine if that happens. I just need to be able to adjust my thinking. But when you are younger, you envision these things happening and you have this opinion of yourself like well i'm not going to that's not going to happen to me mm. you know like when my hair started thinning out sure. you know when i was sure. when i was younger i said well i'll just pff, i'll just shave it off and then it happens and you and the vanity hits you and all that and that's the same thing with where i feel like my career i i'm just wondering if I need to prepare for the very real fact that maybe this is as far as I go professionally.
2: Or maybe we both need to prepare for I am legend. You know, you never know with the way coronavirus and everything is going. We can we can extrapolate all day, can't we?
1: How do you feel about that? They say that only, like a, only a little bit more than 50% of the people that they po- polled about a
2: vaccine are even going to take it would you have an injection done Dell and I talk about this I I'm uncomfortable I I'm going to I'm not going to be the first in line because who knows you know we we, we barely know everything about coronavirus Th- think about and, and 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 let me let me preface this by saying I maybe even put a natural here you know I'm not a doctor <laughs> you know so don't listen to me uh, but uh, think about what we've learned about the coronavirus itself over these past, you know, four or five, six months, and, and the way we've um, the way we've dealt with it. I remember, you know, back in uh, late March, early April, the rule kinda was, well, don't wear a mask or or anything. You know, these hospitals need this PPE and and X Y and Z. You know, now masks are required. You right. know, in in public spaces. So you know, so so I'm not saying that the scientists, you know, um, are aren't smart enough to catch up with change and then they're, they're not doing the research, but there's still so much that, that we, don't, we don't, understand. And when I say we, I'm, I mean, folks like me, you know, here on the ground, all I have is the news. All I have is my computer, my cell phone. And I don't understand enough to, to want to stand in line for the vaccine just yet. And
1: we're getting different versions of whatever information is coming out, depending on what news outlet you look at. And, I, I'm I'm not nutty about the idea about taking it either.
2: So I mean, what's the alternative for you though? I mean, continuing the. I mean, I, I feel like we we have kind of uh, joint social distanced, but, <laughs> but yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, how? So so looping this back, you know, to that question from that student um, at Yola. You know, it seems like you know um, uh, the coronavirus with quarantines, and then you know just what happens naturally, you know, to to folks, you know, you get older, you know, you turn 50 this year. So, yep. you know, what is, and, and, and let's, you know, again, frame this around, you know, this question being asked by this student, what uh, do you see as a potential light at the end of the tunnel? Or or what can, you know, be that thing that can can get you out of this, uh, out of these low points that, that you may be feeling?
1: That's a great question. I'm always looking. I'm always looking. But like when we were uh, talking before, I told you that as long as I can keep some sort of a schedule, do something active, you know, manual labor outside or organizing, you know, cleaning something. If I feel like if I get something done throughout the day, then I don't feel like such a piece of shit,
2: you know. Well, what sorts of? And and by the way, you're. I don't know if we've recorded since you've done your landscaping, but it looks beautiful. Mm. I wish all of you listening could could see it.
1: We also haven't recorded since I did my manscaping
2: whoa 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 (laughs) (laughs) okay anyway um oh what oh you don't want to talk about that (laughs) well um See, you've maybe lose my whole train of thought now. Uh-huh. It's gracious. fun.
1: It's fun. I'm enjoying this.
2: Okay. Well. Oh. Okay. See, actually, what I was going to ask you was, while you were doing your landscaping, what sort of music were you listening to? But now I'll ask you, when you do your manscaping, what sort of music do you listen to? <laughs> <laughs> there, there
1: should be no music going on while manscaping. You need all your attention, man. <laughs> okay. Um, while I was uh, while I was doing landscaping, I'm I'm onto this new band called It It it's a a new band for me it it okay yeah um it's sort of some experimental surprising pop you know it's something that a friend of mine stumbled onto on spotify
2: well let's let's um let's sample that while i catch my breath here since you want to talk about uh manscaping (laughs) and all that I do believe you're blushing okay all right anyway <laughs> you don't want to um, talk about it all right <laughs> um i think you had a uh some sort of accidental uh you brought in today.
1: well you know it relates to the covid thing that we were talking about because um this article came out in the san diego union tribune i won't read the whole thing i'll mm-hmm. give you the title commentary uh in other words Opinion yeah. uh, in the time of COVID-19, a plea for classical music. And this woman writes in saying that uh, she is married to a symphony musician. She uh, is wondering why it is that classical music or live performance is categorized as such a high risk activity. And her point is, if you can um, if you can go and dine in, then you can sit and listen to a concert. That if you have a chair on each side of you and you keep a mask on and you're facing front, that that should be considered low risk. What do you think?
2: For goodness sake, we're comparing food, the sustenance of life to go here in Beethoven or something? Uh, I don't know if uh, that it. is what she's doing, but I mean, I, I think what you know she's saying is that we need to see this just as vital. You know, these. Well, listen folks listen to have what to she have Bills to pay to. What she say?
1: Patrons go to the symphony to listen, to sit and listen. There is no talking during performances, and you only face the backside of the person's heads. of the backside of other people's heads. When you think about it, a classical music performance is the perfect opportunity to demonstrate a safe and socially distanced entertainment experience. So what
2: she say is, a concert is the perfect place to go sit quietly still and just let everything happen to just you. Just let it happen to <laughs> you. <laughs> no, and that's the problem right now with, with, with the concert experience. Who wants to go do that? I mean, you don't want to go and have music happen to you? Not, not in the way that she's describing. I mean, <laughs> if the, she's listing it here, like these are rules, you know. I the, the words I see as I scroll here. Let, no, scroll back up. Go back up. Uh, the words I see are listen, sit, quiet. You know, I mean, it it, it seems so just, you know, boxed in. Um, you know, on on my Instagram, um, folk, which is Garrett McQueen, by the way. So <laughs> that question mm-hmm. does not have to be asked. Um, I posted a photo of these sort of plexiglass shields in between musicians that I guess some (laughs) orchestra is experimenting with. Um, I'm I'm not sure where it was, but, you know, my point was do not let these orchestras kill you. Do not let these orchestras um, thirst and and uh, and need to participate in capitalism get you sick because let's think about it. If I am asymptomatic, I'm I feel fine, but you know, I'm positive, don't know it, whatever. I'm blowing into my bassoon, there is COVID, it's going in the air, going filter everywhere. System. Yeah. Now, it sounds beautiful and it's very much in tune, but it's <laughs> good, it's, it's going everywhere in the air. Those shields. Are, are they? They really don't mean anything. And especially again, what we're constantly learning about uh, coronavirus. At first, it was you know wash your hands and and don't put your uh, hands on your face, which is still a thing. But we're also learning now that you know coronavirus droplets can live in the air for hours potentially. You know, so that means there's cor- just the going thing, through the whole concert. Hall. The
1: thing that scares me is. Damage done to people who survive it. There are there are a lot of people out there that, after getting past it, essentially have uh, COPD.
2: Yeah, I mean they're talking um, about uh, long
1: term lung, lifelong lung damage.
2: And, but they're also talking about liver and and other organs. And it's it's, it's a vascular disease. Real. You know that, right? It's yeah. vascular.
1: So yeah, it's moving all throughout your body. You don't know how it's going to affect you.
2: So yeah, y'all stop playing, wear your mask, and stay out of that concert hall. <laughs> is that controversial? Yeah. Oh, it is. <laughs> okay, um, I don't know what
1: all my buttons are yet. come over here and we'll, we'll push some buttons.
2: Okay, so for the final accidental here, I'm <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna um, put a sharp next to what's so going on. So was this a on. flat reaction then to the San Diego Oh, by Diego the way, Tribune? to the San Diego, oh, I, I, I will put a flat next to that. I mean, you can't shame people into going back into the concert hall. Get back in
1: there. Especially not
2: these Get days. Get in there and sit down and listen. A- Shut and, up. And for whatever they're, they're charged for that anyway, so. Um, and
1: you know that picture that you posted, now that I'm thinking about it, when I first saw it, it reminded me of the box that I used to keep all my Star Wars action figures in. So, yeah, look at that. You can look at it like you're collecting
2: Symphony musicians. I guess that's the uh, the the photo for <laughs> this opus. <laughs> there you I'll, go. I'll do that. All right. Um, <clears throat> so my final little uh, accidental here. I was going to put a sharp next to um, everybody over in Portland, and I and I know you say you know someone over there, um, and and I'll, I'll I want to get you know your take and understanding about that. I, I would love to you know uh, talk to him a little bit, but um, I I kind of applaud what what's going on. You know, I, I think that you know, I've been saying so much that we're at a point in history, we're at a point in time that is so delicate where we really can make change but we can't let our stamina, stamina I can never say that word stamina, we can never let our stamina run out, yeah. um, we, we can't get bored, we can't get tired and and Portland is not going and, and I really applaud them and you know one of the things Scott I wanted to ask you Um. you know when, when the uh, riots were happening here and of course we're driving in and out you know uh, to work at the radio station you know it's seemed pretty scary. COVID seemed pretty scary, you know, those first few weeks, too. And now we're just here, you know, the the, the orchestras are trying to get y'all back in the building and everything, despite it all. Um, I guess my question is, um, do you think that fear kind of, um, you know, subsides when you talk about the protests? I mean, they're 62 days in at this point. Um, If I lived there, I, I wouldn't feel fear. I, I I would feel feel action. I would feel we, we have to keep this going. We have to, you know, take this opportunity to, to change everything. I mean, what what do you think?
1: Well, he's got very much of an attitude of and he, not, not – uh, his name is Dan. Oh, your friend over in Portland. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he's in Seattle, actually, but he's just two, three blocks away from where the Chaz was, you know, that – Oh, I got gotcha. you, yeah. That um, uh, Capitol Hill autonomous zone. Mm-hmm. And whenever I talked about it and talked to him about it, he said, yeah, Claire's over there, his his girlfriend, Claire's over there now, probably, you know, listening to music, smoking weed and hanging out. Sounds good to me. Yep. And then when the drama really started, he said that she was going out and watching from one of the upper levels of a parking garage to be out of it, but still, you know, keeping sort of tabs on it. And he is nervous enough that he doesn't want to be out there.
2: I mean, what do you think about uh, the reality of just you know? Th- again, thinking back to what we were going through here in the Twin Cities and how how scary mm-hmm. you know that that just felt. I yeah. mean, I, I think they're doing something good. I mean, what, what what are what are your opinions on just the ways in which um, it's it's happening?
1: I think that it is a great symbol of just exactly how serious it is and how serious the people who want change are. The fact that it has lasted this long and and now thankfully here in the Twin Cities it's gone to demonstrations. Right. You right. know they're they're far more
2: Well the trials aren't over yet so I guess we'll right. see. That's right. Yeah, it, it has
1: every potential to be a pressure cooker in, you know, a few moments time. But um okay. I've got Nothing but admiration for the people who are keeping it up.
2: And I hope that spark just kind of catches again across the nation. I'm not saying that I want to see violence and destruction everywhere. No. But I I want to see actual things changing. I I, I want to see voices heard, and I want to see the conversation to, to move beyond just that.
1: I did see somebody holding up a sign that said, the beginning is near. Rather than right. rather than the end is near, and I thought that was a, that's my favorite sign. Yeah. The, the beginning is near.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, and I guess it can be taken in jest or or as seriously as you like. You know, I was you know searching around the internet and trying to find a connection between you know what's going on over there and music, and I saw that there was a, a, some uh, integration of. John Williams's uh, Imperial March, <laughs> you know. I mean, it's it's not funny because think about it. you have these uh, federal, you know, people, you know, they're taking folks away and who knows where they're going. You know, what is that, you know, but the story of Star Wars, right? As far as these of Imperial soldiers, good and,
1: versus bad, the rebels and the and the establishment. Yeah,
2: yeah. All right. I mean, and it and it is a, a very classic tune, isn't it? Absolutely. All right. Well, here's here's a little bit of that as we uh, transition into um, movement two, where uh, we're we're going to strike a chord or two. movement too um before we uh, g- get too far uh scott you were there when star, star wars episode four premiered right i was there yeah the opening weekend i mean do, do you remember having a visceral reaction to the music i mean i'm sure the lights and the lasers and everything was
1: i saw it in omaha anybody who's from omaha will know the indian hills theater it was uh one of the few theaters in the country that used cinemascope or something something like that where the 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 building curved okay and the and the movie screen r- wrapped semi around you and so it was very immersive and it was one of the best sound systems in in the area and I remember when that first orchestra hit you know and the and, yeah. the, and the credits start yeah. you know the the those that opening crawl um, I rem I, I remember nothing but just total overstimulation Just everything was just wow. You're seeing it, you're hearing it, you're feeling it. You got to pee a little bit. You know, it's just. Yeah, what an amazing night. I remember falling asleep in the car on the way home. Because you had worked a, hard. <laughs> absolutely. And my dad was a prince, man, because he doesn't like crowds. And there was a line wrapped around the building a couple times to get in there. So
2: Well, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a weird connection. But um, one of my uh, last, um, you know, shows that I was really proud of down at my uh, former station uh, in Knoxville before I moved up here, um, it was a Friday. Um, and Friday was May the 4th. So that means <laughs> may the fourth be with you. Right. So, and, but that means Saturday was Cinco de Mayo. Um, so I wouldn't be, you know, on the air to do that. So I did like this joint uh, <laughs> Star Wars uh, and Mexican composers uh, sort of thing. And it ended up being really cool. And it's how I learned about um, one of the pieces of music I'll talk about here shortly as we uh, introduce um, uh, this opus's uh, guest. But um, you had some things to talk about um, with uh, uh uh, uh, an artist that you had recently uh, st- stumbled upon, right?
1: A uh, big shout out to a Lincoln resident of all things. Lincoln, a Nebraska. Woman, Lincoln, Nebraska. She has played Coachella with Queen Bee, a member of Beyonce's all woman band. And she's been doing some of the things that you see, you know, um, younger artists who are classically trained taking some of their favorite hip hop and pop tracks yeah. and doing a violin treatment. She's doing that. I've listened to some of them. She is on point. But uh, just last Friday, she had her own single debut called Beethoven Pleads the Fifth. I'm she is. Sure he um, and <laughs> her name is Izenma that's how she, that's the name that she performs under but everybody around Lincoln she says knows her as Meredith Ramsey so uh, check out her YouTube presence and she also has you know all the other usual suspects as far as social media and she's starting to blow up a little bit here because uh, I'm seeing now that she's got another, article showing up in uh, People magazine, People.com, violinist Azinma on growing up with a black dad and a white mom. Racism takes a very heavy toll is the uh, the lead on that one in People.com. So I, uh, I reached out to her to see if she wanted to be on the podcast. I have yet to oh, hear anything well, back from well,
2: her. Well, I hope. She, and, and I'm sure she knows Jessica Majunkin. She, she knows does. Lady Jess. I bet she would. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, congrats. You know, and um, I've never been to Nebraska, so not to, you know, you know, call her a, a small town person or anything, but I'm sure folks in Lincoln, you know, are, are very happy and proud. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure she's kind of the, the talk of the town, I'm sure.
1: I, yeah, I'm proud of her, too. And... Her recordings are really excellent. I mean, she's tight. So yeah. check out her YouTube presence. We'll have a, a link to that in the description. And check out her new single that dropped last Friday, Beethoven Pleads the Fifth.
2: I wonder what you think uh, uh, about you know uh, the way uh, she introduces and incorporates um, you know hip hop, and and maybe could you know possibly introduce uh, people who aren't versed in hip hop to uh, to to that world. You know by way of the violin. You know I'm thinking about uh, last time we were hanging out, or maybe last week you were practicing a part of a, a song by the baby that, <laughs> that she covered. You know yeah. I think I think it was Rockstar. Yeah. How how how's that going? That little that little guitar pluck there. Well,
1: I I just have to spend some time with it. It's fine. I mean it's fun, and I think that if you get Get your bassoon. We might have a nice duet.
2: Well, here's here, here here's how it sounds. The, the original.
1: Okay, and here's how it sounds after Zinma Meredith Ramsey gets it.
2: Yeah, so, um, to, so shout out to Miss Ramsey. Yeah, I hope we can uh, get her on Triloquy. I, I, w- I would love to, you know, because they, they talk about, um, you know, classical orchestras as these, you know, cover bands. And, and you know, again, if, if we're going to stick with that idea of, of covering all of the great music, you know, I, I think DaBaby wrote some of that um, classic music. So, mm. mm-hmm. You know, I I would will, I will love to break down that conversation a little bit.
1: Well, maybe if you at her in the description when you post this, maybe she'll respond and come on the podcast.
2: Well, I'll I'll do what I can. I'll do what I can. What you got? Um, You know, uh, so last week, um, you know, in the announcements, I I mentioned the Boulanger Initiative. So, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the uh, really cool things I got to do last week um, was host a virtual concert um, uh, featuring uh, Lara Downs uh, at the piano, and it was music about uh, Florence Price. So, you know, for folks who um, may not know, you know, uh, the Boulanger Initiative is named after the late composer Nadia Bollonger yep. and also her sister Lily Bonlanger, you know, who taught, you know, every composer that, you know, really mattered in, in the 20th century on a large scale. Did
1: you even say Quincy Jones? Quincy Jones, times?
2: yeah, wow. Quincy Jones, but also uh, Aaron Copland, Leonard Bernstein, yeah. you know, uh, Quincy, I, I, we talked about when we, um, when we uh, honored uh, Ennio Morricone a couple mm-hmm. of opuses ago, how Quincy Jones, you know, had a really tight relationship uh, with him. And that's due to um, uh, the Boulanger connection, you know. So this this really important woman of classical music that is is more important than, than people realize you know because she taught so many folks um, anyway so there's this um, organization uh, named after her and her younger uh, sister uh, Lily uh, Boulanger that focuses on music written by women um, so last week um, as as I mentioned I had the honor of hosting this event featuring Laura Downs with the music of Florence Price and um, you know one of my big uh, takeaways from the conversations uh, that Laura and I were having in, in between the um, uh, performances, you know, the pre-recorded performances is celebrating the journey. I think um, mm. when it comes to uh, folks like Florence Price, we, uh, it's so easy for us to focus on, oh, you know, she was a black woman in the early 20th century and, you know, the, the Klan was doing this and X, Y, and Z. She you was know. the
1: first black woman to do this. Right, the, right,
2: which, which, which is all important things, but, you know, a point that Laura was making um, that, that I really um, appreciated was that, you know, she was a woman and we have to celebrate her as a woman, as a human being. And there were things to celebrate. You know, the life of a black woman is not just in servitude. It's not just um, for the struggle. It's not just for, you know, mm-hmm. the, and, and you know, we got into the relationships that she fostered with folks like um, um, uh, Ella Fitzgerald and, and other, um, uh, Billie Holiday, you know, uh, nice. uh, those folks especially when she moved up to um chicago so yeah um uh, a huge shout out to the boulanger initiative you know it it was an honor for me as a man to um be invited to do something like that (laughs) um so and you know the, the the audience was great it was on this really cool platform actually that's like zoom but it's um, like going to a performance. So everyone has a, a link and you can watch it through Facebook or uh, YouTube. I'll, I'll put a link uh, to uh, to it in the description of this. But they see, you know, one thing and what the participants see is like a backstage where we're put on the stage and off the stage and live video goes and so, you know, um, cool. I, I was talking about in the last movement about how these orchestras want to kill you. Well, the, <laughs> there, there are alternatives, you know. Technology is happening and and I don't know if we've yet, you know, we have yet to really get that live orchestra experience, you know, on on the vultra, virtual platform. But, you know, with with uh, pre-recorded things, especially with solo performances or small chamber performances is very much possible. And it's uh, it, it's happening in real time.
1: Well, the art to speak to our time is being created right now. I read where Valerie Coleman was commissioned to write a piece to be played socially distanced. Yeah, it's already I was, happening. I, I
2: was at that performance. actually. Oh were you nice yeah, yeah, yeah was, is,
1: can you do, do you know more about it?
2: It was uh, I think we talked about it before the uh, piece of music called Seven o'clock Shout. Um, written in uh, honor of all of the frontline workers, so in New well, York... Was that the one? Yeah, okay. they're, they're okay. coming home, and everyone's leaning out the window, banging the, the, pots, yeah. and... The article so,
1: that I read didn't didn't give a title, so I didn't know if it was a new piece or if that was the one, but... Oh, yeah, yeah. But anyway, the point is, that music is being created right now, yeah. to speak to the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And um, while we're on Laura Downs, uh, I have to say, first, I'm a, I'm a fan yeah. of her playing... And I check out her website pretty frequently so that I can keep the listeners up to date on what she, up to, up to date on what she's doing. Yeah, and she was doing um, those Friday evening bedtime sessions, and you can the, it was a live track that you could listen to on a Friday night oh, sure. through her website. But then it's also archived. And the standout for me was "Child Asleep" by Florence Price. Do you know that one?
2: Uh, no, I don't, a solo piano. Right, yeah. and
1: it's sort of. The the it's it's not music to put you to sleep it's the music you hear once you're asleep if you ask me okay and it's dream music so the chords kind of cascade up almost like you're about to vault but you never quite do and you end up falling back but you're always sort of tumbling up it feels with this music oh wow And then there's Going to Bed, an homage to Philip Glass. And to me, mm-hmm. that feels like cascading down. You know, that, um, that one is more of a PG-13 dream song, oh. I think. <laughs> But uh, uh, and for me, Summerland, uh, the William Grant Still. That's for that's actually for slowly waking.
2: Okay, so, so all parts of the yeah. the bed experience. Yeah, most parts of it anyway.
1: So nice job, Laura. Thanks for um, thanks for inviting us in for uh, some really intimate piano music on a Friday evening.
2: Yeah, and, and I would really, you know, I I feel like I have to reiterate that, you know, artists like Laura. Um, you know, are, are, are really exploring in an active way, um, in an actionable way, what this new present and what the future could look like for um, live performance. You know, I I, I could have sat there um, and listened to to Laura play all evening um, in, in the last movement. We were talking about um, that article uh, where the woman is talking about, you know, go to the concert hall, sit still, be quiet, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, if, if Laura is in my home in, in that way, you know, I can be in my bathroom. I can be, you know, smoking a joint. I could be having a drink, maybe having dinner. But I'm I'm very comfortable, you know, (laughs) I'm I'm in my element and I'm getting to not only connect with this music, you know, hear, you know, the voice that's left of Florence Price, but uh, really enjoy the company of Laura Downs and really feel like it's an intimate thing, you know, so much more intimate than the concert hall.
1: I think that the possibility of hearing your heroes play like that is really interesting that m- maybe the ticket is only $15 or something like that to hear David Russell play yeah. or you know to watch um sphinx virtuosi give a concert somewhere like that for 15 20 bucks hell yeah
2: yeah or or do it for free because i think that's also possible and there are donors and 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 all that sort of thing
1: and then get tipped you mean like have a patreon sure yeah
2: sure i mean yeah i mean we we don't have to connect capitalism to all of this now do we but as long as i've been on my anti-capitalism kick lately (laughs) you have
1: but as long as we're on it uh we've got one for triloquy
2: now Oh, yeah. Yeah. With, the, with that being said, yeah, go and press the donate button. <laughs>
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so uh, anyway, Laura, I think I've been enjoying those bedtime sessions those are great
2: yo uh a laura uh a laura uh, performance uh, that i think I, I enjoyed most uh when i was hosting that concert is uh, a, a tune by uh florence price called down the southern lane and you know it's, it's kind of hot in here right now <laughs> when we are recording. it makes me think about those you know humid summer evenings down south where you don't have anything to do but to you know walk down the road to hang out sit on the porch whatever with your friends your family and just be there i miss the those days so much. Wow. Now, um, so, uh, you know, we're talking about down a Southern lane where we're going to go, um, even further South, uh, here, uh, <laughs> in the third movement. So, um, uh, a few months ago, um, I had the pleasure of being on, uh, a panel, uh, for an organization, new music USA, you know, like the American composers forum, they affirm, um, and empower, um, composers and music creators and um, uh, they received um, a grant from the Sphinx organization to uh, create a series of commissions uh, with with different orchestras commissions that really engage the communities and engage new um, uh, you know new, new creators of music mm-hmm. uh, w- one of the recipients um, of that grant uh, was a composer from Mexico named Juan Pablo Contreras uh, it was really great to uh, speak with him today you know uh, what, what you and you sat in on the conversation Scott mm-hmm. uh, you know one of the things that I was just so tickled by was how many similarities there are between um, what we talk about with black classical music and Mexican classical music. You know, how, you know, you there, there's more than one, there's more than two, and you can um, do it throughout the season and not just, you Cinco know, de Mayo. Yeah, no, not just <laughs> one day of the year or whatever. So uh, it, it was really great to um, speak with him. Where, where I think we'll uh, pop into the conversation, um, I asked him about, you know, some of those seminal pieces of Mexican classical music. And there was a piece I used to play all the time, uh, not just on Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> down yeah. At W-U-O-T, yeah um called uh Huapango a and favorite. It's, it's it's just so fun and and so light. Uh we'll we'll, we'll listen to a little bit of that as we uh, transition into our conversation with uh Juan Pablo Contreras.
0: No, it's very well known. It's like the people call it the second Mexican national anthem. It's oh, played wow! So much in Mexico and musicians, orchestra musicians, especially know it like almost by heart. Like they don't have to even look at the score. So oh, it's wow! Extremely popular. It's it's one of those rare classical pieces that's that's that everyone knows. It's been a part of like many uh, like also popular commercial TV commercials. So it, it's been popularized a lot. And I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's huge in Mexico and it's, yeah, it's one of those intimidating pieces as a Mexican composer that you're like, oh, I wish I, I, I thought of that piece before uh, <laughs> it was written, you know, it's one of those, I don't know, like, I don't know, like a Copeland piece or something that's like, so a part of the, um, the country that, you know,
2: yeah. And and, and you, you say it's well known among uh, musicians and non uh, musicians alike. Yeah. Are, are, are there other pieces like that? I mean, it seems like, uh, you know, folks here in the States are, are uh, so ignorant when it comes to Mexican classical music, you know, I'm familiar with, you know, the Huapango, um, no. I'm familiar with, you know, Revueltas, of course, uh, Cesar Chavez, but if there's another composer or another piece of music that's just kind of seminal um, to that experience, uh, is, is there one?
0: a second one that that's become very popular as well and and that Gustavo Dudamel really popularized is the Danzón number no. 2 by Arturo Marquez that's that one's also becoming that that kind of like the the Wapango status the Wapango is so so famous that people even like call it uh Wapango of Moncayo like they they don't even know like Mon- Jose Pablo Moncayo was the composer it's like Oh, have you heard "Guapango de Mongayo"? Like it's one one single phrase, and and it's yeah, it's extremely popular.
2: I wonder how um you know how that culture, that Mexican culture, plays a role in the way you think about uh, classical music. You know, something we talk about on this mm-hmm. podcast all the time is how classical music here in America, you know, the Negro spiritual is really foundational to that. How does Mexican culture relate to Mexican classical music in that way?
0: Well for me personally those two are inseparable and, and for many years now I've been trying to establish like a new Mexican classical music sound so for me it's been a great source of inspiration and and really like a, a very kind of honest passion that I have that, that is that I love telling stories about Mexico through my music so each piece of mine at least for the last 10 years or, or so has uh, reflected on or celebrated some kind of Mexican tradition, culture, um, and that's kind of been my mission that I want to establish, a, a new voice that that blends the two together in a seamless way and that um, celebrates, my, uh, you know, my Mexican heritage in, in an interesting way. I think it hasn't been, this approach hasn't been too popular in the last, I don't know, 20 years or so. I mean, we, we talked right now about Moncayo, Chavez, Revueltas, all of them are composers that really flourished in the beginnings of the the 20th century where you know after the Mexican revolution uh, these composers really wanted to establish like what should mexican classical music sound like and they, that was like their their task and their goal they wanted to establish a sound for mexican classical music and then mexico has always kind of looked at europe as a as a reference point or or as a source for inspiration so whatever the europe does mexico tries to copy that so there's few composers like myself that have been really uh, you know proudly mexican and in a very extroverted way uh but it's it's i think the difference between my music and maybe that of those composers is that i i know what mexican music sounds like and what i'm trying to do is more like tell stories about mexico and and, and kind of put a a modern um, take on on what Mexican music can sound like. Um,
2: yeah, yeah. You know, I, I mentioned. You know, I'm I'm I continue to draw the comparisons. You know, between uh, the Negro spiritual and you know, uh, American. You know, uh, classical music, music from the states. And then, you mm-hmm. know, um, you know, when you talk about the sound of Mexican music, I'm wondering if there is a specific subgenre or or a specific type of music that's kind of foundational to what you're trying to do.
0: I, I've explored many like subgenres, for instance, mariachi music. I have a, a, one of my most famous pieces called Mariachitlan that really takes on the mariachi tradition and puts it in the orchestral context. Uh, Son Jarocho, which is from Veracruz. Uh, banda music, which is like the big brass band kind of sound. Uh, so, so I think different regions of Mexico have their like, um, their specific folk music if you may and I think depending on what story I'm trying to tell about Mexico I try to find that or use that music and really learn it and really incorporate it and put it into my own language so that people can be transported to that specific place in Mexico and and kind of relive whatever story I'm trying to tell.
2: What what are uh, what what's a story that uh, you can connect to um, the the region of Mexico uh, where you draw your heritage? I mean, what what is the sound? What is the what what is the feeling that's unique to where you uh, are from and your family is from in Mexico?
0: So I, I was born in Guadalajara in Jalisco, and that's the place where mariachi music was invented. And my family used to actually every like Easter, we, we used to spend a couple of weeks in the specific town called Cocula where mariachi music was invented. Um, so that's very much in my DNA. And I, and I grew up playing violin and I played mariachi songs. So that sound, which is, you know, mariachi with violins, trumpets, uh, like small guitar, like vihuela, uh, harp, that sound. And, and, and I think one of the advantages about Mexican traditional music and folk music is that it uses a lot of like, european classical instruments so basically when the when the spanish conquered mexico they brought these instruments and really obligated uh you know the the indigenous mexican people to to only make music with those instruments and mariachi is an interesting genre because they call it mariachi because it was like a marriage like a mariage between Mm. the, the indigenous music and using uh european instruments so uh, that's yeah. I think that's interesting. That the, the the history of the country itself is very much uh, is very similar to what I'm trying to do. Is trying to take the European aspects of classical music and blend them with Mexican and, uh, music, which is kind of my history as well.
2: Yeah, you know, uh the the folks listening can't see but you use air quotes for the word traditional. I mean, is is there something controversial there? You're you're sort of speaking to uh the the mix of European and um uh maybe uh, indigenous, you know, uh sounds that have have given birth to what we have today. I mean, is mm-hmm. is that does that conversation go into your, you know, use of air quotes for traditional?
0: Yeah, it's a whole topic, you know, uh, like you know, considering what, what the conquest did to the country and how you know amicable that blending was, but there there definitely was this you know this mixture of two uh, races, predominantly you know white European uh, and indigenous, and this is what came about. But I think rather than um, I think my music really celebrates that, and rather than you know looking at it in a, in a more controversial kind of way it's like saying like this is what the country is today you know we have both uh those two uh heritage and sources and and there's a lot of great and very positive and very beautiful you know mexican music that that uh, really works well with the orchestra and its sound
2: What what obligation, um, or or I guess where does the obligation come from for you to really explore this um, in your music? Because I'm sure there are so many um, composers from Mexico and other Spanish-speaking countries that don't really focus on this the way you do. Where where does that obligation come from for you?
0: I think a part of it is that I I moved to the U.S. almost 15 years ago, so basically all of my like professional musical training I did here in the U.S. like undergrad. Cal arts in California, master's degree, Manhattan School of Music in New York, and then a doctorate at uh, USC back in LA. Uh, so I, I think it was really a necessity for me to, I mean, I'm here in the US and I'm studying all of these like European composers and, and just for me, like there was something missing, like, you know, r- writing classical music and especially once you've written your typical, like starting like sonatas and stuff like that, you, you start to think like, I have to there's something important that I have to say in order to make this uh relevant and and meaningful for me and for others and and I think the answer for uh, for me particularly was Mexico and that I wanted to to really uh, explore and develop a really Mexican sound in my music and so I, I think I've been lucky that it's a very like honest passion and and that I really love doing what i'm writing and and it, and that it's not like something that i see like oh the, there's an opportunity in this market or whatever yeah uh, i think on the on the contrary i think i i've really have to i've i fought very hard to to carry this flag and to say like no i'm very proud about about this music that i'm writing and and it deserves a place in in the concert stage and i think slowly like i've been very lucky to have Lots of people join this mission and, and really you know prove that there is a there's a a huge audience that especially here in the states you know the the uh, Latinos and the mexican American population, population really values their heritage and really they, they're hungry to to hear this kind of music in the concert hall and to feel represented to feel like there's a composer that's speaking to them uh and that they can really um you know, feel connected with classical music. I think that there's some, you know, sometimes we feel like very separated from what, I mean, Beethoven and Mozart, that's really beautiful music, but it doesn't really connect with our, you know, modern day (laughs) beings. And and, uh, I think people are craving that connection and that relevance, I think.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, what is your um, opinion then on um, what, you know, what, what Scott and I refer to as the the canon, you know, the, the Beethoven, the, the the Mozart, you know. Some people feel like, um, folks like me, feel like it should all just be thrown away and let's focus on new music and, and music uh, by uh, composers and from perspectives that we don't usually hear. Others think that there should be sort of a, a mixing in. Do, do, do you have an opinion there?
0: That's a tough one. I, I think, <laughs> I mean... Throwing it away, I think it's a bit too radical, but I, I definitely think that it's done, overdone. I mean, there, it's, there's too much of that uh, being performed and being programmed and and being—I uh, don't want to say uh, worship—is maybe a too strong a word, but, sure. but uh, there is this this uh, this idea of like, oh, the only like geniuses were like, yeah, Beethoven, Mozart, and and like, uh, it's. Even you know at universities and stuff, I think it's it's music that's taken too seriously and overstudied, And there's so much other great music uh, that we can explore and perform and you know champion. That, that I mean, I think definitely personally, I'm fighting for for an evolution in classical music. So that it does it's not a museum, but it's you know something that's a part of a, of our modern day conversation and that's something relevant. I think there needs to be a change in that regard.
2: What do you Absolutely. feel like um, you're fighting against? You know, wh- wh- where, do you, where do you feel like the, the, the challenge really is when it comes to getting more of this music out?
0: I think one thing is that there's um, kind of like a, a commodity I feel with orchestras that, that just think that if they program the, the, what they believe to be great music, they're doing their jobs it's just like we're out we're on the stage we take a bow we play this music and wave goodbye and we're, we're going home and I think I'm fighting against that I don't like that idea of like uh, orchestras or composers just you know supplying uh, you know the great music that people should just absorb and, and and be like revitalized and just by hearing the music I think one of the uh, something very important with which I think your podcast is doing is having these conversations and reaching out to people and explaining why for us classical music is so beautiful and so you know so important so so I think one thing that it immediately needs to change is like breaking that barrier between the stage and the audience and like establishing that that you know from the get-go that hey we're all human beings we're making this and 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 I think the pandemic has really shown a light on that like oh oh my goodness if there's no audience there's no music right and i think it's it's really shown orchestras that you know the audience should you know dictate what they want to hear and should be like more important than just this is the music we're giving you and that's the end of the conversation so um yeah so one thing i'm really fighting is for instance every time i uh have a, a piece of music perform or i conduct in a concert I take the microphone and I explain, this is what you're gonna hear, listen to this, listen to that, this is what the piece is about. And and I just, you know, making myself myself more approachable and and establishing a a more direct connection with the audience. I think it's very important for me and, and I think it makes the whole experience much more meaningful, you know.
2: there was uh, someone on the uh, season 1 of the uh, podcast my my good friend um, Alex uh, Alex Rosales Garcia he's currently a uh, second bassoon with the Las Vegas uh, Philharmonic who uh, you're going to be uh, working with soon and mm-hmm. he talked a little bit about um, how there was a piece of music i think it was by Revueltas actually uh, on the program and how you know the, the sort of audience talk back afterwards you know connecting that piece of music with mexican culture and what's going on today between the united states and mexico it it, it turned turned out to be sort of a, uh, you know, a not so friendly um, experience. It's so easy for, you know, pro-blackness to become political. It's so easy for mm. uh, being proud to be uh, Mexican and affirming the voice of Mexicans to become a political statement. You know, how do you traverse that, just affirming yourself being political?
0: Um, I think I think that the, the conversation itself is like maybe more important than, than the different opinions so just opening up that conversation and inspiring people to talk about it i think that's i mean that's a huge accomplishment if you if by writing a piece of music you can make uh someone have that conversation and talk about uh for instance there's a piece of mine called called silencio en juarez like silencing juarez which is about the the violence in the the border city of juarez that's between the u.s and mexico and that piece it's been really interesting. Uh, you know, it's, I wrote it, I don't know, five or so years ago, and it's been toured all over the world. And just to see how it becomes something else that be, it becomes like a platform for talking about just world peace and like the, how to stop violence in general, and not only in Mexico, that for me is very interesting and very meaningful that, you mm-hmm. know, a piece of music can, can take on a whole other, um, goal and purpose and so so for me it's it's like I think uh by writing music you establish this uh this channel to to open up these conversations and that to me is very important I mean regardless of what people think about just having them you know question for instance this this aspect my, my music is so Mexican that it really brings up this 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 question about identity you know, or what mm-hmm. you know what do you personally, consider yourself to be what's your own heritage what do you value i think those questions are very important and it's very inspiring for me to to have people come up to me after concert and say like oh i'm from russia or i'm from argentina and it really made me think about my own country and my own upbringing so that that moment when your music becomes universal and the message uh, goes way beyond your specific story that that you're telling that you know, on the surface seems to be very local but that people if, if you speak honestly about your own heritage and upbringing people connect with it and it becomes uh way bigger so i think that's that's one of the beauties of of music and especially instrumental music where there's no text no words yeah uh, everyone can just make it their own and think about different things so it's exciting i think
2: and that's something that, you know, you'll be um, exploring once again with the Las Vegas uh, uh, Philharmonic, you know, thanks to um, uh, an honor you've recently uh, received from New Music USA. Uh, why don't you tell yeah. folks um, uh, about your relationship with New Music USA and the opportunity you've uh, recently been given?
0: Yeah, so this, this has been really huge. It's, it's a wonderful program because it not only um, sets the platform for a world premiere, but it's a collaboration with... At least four orchestras. In my case, Las Vegas Philharmonic, California Symphony in, in San Francisco, Richmond Symphony, and uh, Louisiana uh, Philharmonic. So, and it it allows composers to not only attend the premiere but to actually visit each orchestra two, three, or or four times in in, in uh, within a year or so. So so really to make a relationship with the orchestra, with the community, and that's just a dream come true for every composer because usually as composers, you just get a deadline or like, here's the instrumentation, here's the deadline, see you at the premiere and you just show up and take a bow and then go home and nothing really too profound happened with that community. And and I think this, this program is um, really, the vision is composers should be a part of the fabric of the orchestra of the community. And by, by scheduling this, these, like visits to talk about the, the progress of the piece so, so people can really get a, get a look at what it takes to write a symphonic work, you know how the, the first ideas come about, what's the progress, you know uh, workshop, workshopping the piece with the orchestra or with some of the musicians to get feedback. So it's, it's just like the dream scenario for a composer to really make a, a very uh, meaningful, meaningful piece of music. And, yeah, so, so the, and the, main, uh, the main commissioners uh, are the Las Vegas Philharmonics. I'll be visiting there, I think, three times or four times in next season. Uh, I'm extremely excited and very honored about that. I think, yeah, this is just such a dream come true for, for me as a composer and as a Mexican composer that's living in the U.S. These kinds of opportunities are really amazing.
2: You know, if if most folks know anything about Las Vegas, it's casinos, and I'm sure that <laughs> you're going to be um, digging in more into the community than just the uh, the the culture of the the bright lights and the big sounds, or or maybe that will be a part of uh, of uh, what you're exploring right now as you begin to think about this piece of music.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think what's exciting about this piece. Most of my compositions have really focused on Mexico and the country in itself. And I think this piece, uh, since it's it's such a collaboration with four American orchestras, I'm trying to talk about more about the, the Mexican American community here in the US, and especially Las Vegas, that's like in, in it shares a border with Mexico to try to explore like how how has that um what they call the edge effect where two communities you know uh join together and overlap and start to share uh traditions, like how 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 does that create a new subculture and a, and a new way of life that really, I mean, I think is the, is the foundation of this country, you know, is the, the blending of so many cultures that makes it so unique and, and beautiful. So, so that, that approach is going to definitely be in my composition, not only Mexico, but how has that, how has Mexico and its culture blended and been a part of the fabric in the U S and created this, these beautiful stories of, uh, uh, for all of Latinos the dreamers and all of the Mexican Americans that live here that have, yeah, it's a very unique kind of culture. And, and I really want to honor that in
2: this piece. Yeah. And I, I actually want to unpack that um, a little bit. And I, and again, I hope you won't mind. You know, I, it's easier for me to draw comparisons uh, when it comes to black classical music, because, you know, that's more of what I specialized in. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, William Grant Still, his second symphony is subtitled Song of a New Race. And he kind of spoke to some of the things you're speaking to about how, you know, it's the mixing of these different cultures and these different experiences that will create, you know, a, a new people. Um, I'm wondering um, what your uh, sort of relationship is with thinking about um, being um, a citizen or, or or visiting even the United States versus, America being all you know, even though you are um, of Mexican descent, you know, I mean, are, are you, are mm. you finding that to be an aspect of, of what you're looking at, you know, because you really do have that experience of living and learning in Mexico. But there's so many Mexican Americans, especially kids, you mentioned the dreamers, yeah. that just don't really have that experience. How do you plan on uh, speaking to that idea in this new piece of music?
0: Excellent question. I think what I've been very pleasantly surprised uh, meeting and interacting and, and and forming a community with so many people uh, like you described. You know, Mexicans of second generation that were born here and that you know only speak English. You know, sometimes they don't even speak Spanish. But I've been really, yeah, you know, pleasantly surprised that these these people love Mexico in a way that. It, it like goes beyond even mexicans like they're so proud of their heritage they're so proud of their their culture and and you know they 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 love you know their um you know all of their history and, and um so i think that's that's something that i that i want to explore further that this idea of like yes some mexicans americans have never left the country and and were born here, but their 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 culture is very unique and very very rich. You know the, the blending of the two, um you know their heritage, their Mexican and their American heritage is something very special. And and I wanna yeah I wanna highlight that even even further and and kind of tell those success stories as well. You know like you know we have you know given the 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 political climate and everything you know there's there's sometimes a negative you know kind of uh connotation of you know people that are mexican-american or that live here and you know there's so many so many great great amazing people that i've met and that you know and that, that that do so much for america as well and they're proudly americans as well that i think that part of the mission of that piece is celebrating that and highlighting that and you know giving giving that a platform as well so i think with music you have the opportunity to to as we we were saying like invite people to have those conversations and and with you know uh great music uh, hopefully you know like have people you know feel proud of of what they how they contribute to this country as well
2: yeah. And again, as you mentioned before, you know, hopefully making it universal, you know, to, to apply to even uh, even more people. Uh, is, is there anything um, specifically that you can tell us about this new Music USA Commission? Do you have a title picked out? Are there uh, any sketches worked out or, or what?
0: Not yet. Not yet. I've, I've
2: been really one. I, I kind of uh,
0: I want to really start it and dig in once. Uh, Next season, basically, when I'm, when I'm able to go to Las Vegas, when, I, when I'm able to take these trips and really I want to draw inspiration from those uh, encounters, from, you know, interacting with their community and everything and kind of uh, – so right now the only idea I do have is what I talked about, this idea of the edge effect, which is like two um, different environments. It's, it's like a concept in nature where two environments meet and overlap and how they create a new – uh, ecosystem that's, you know, so, so diverse and so rich. So I want to explore that, like what happens in that those, especially the, the border cities that the, that share uh, two heritages or, or more and these cultures, and when they come together, how does that bring about new life and, and, and something beautiful? So that's the starting point. We'll see how the specifics work out once I start working with these communities.
2: Well, we're looking forward to um, hearing it and, and hopefully getting it uh, recorded sometime. I'll, I'll space. Uh, I'll pay special attention to the bassoon part. So I hope that's... Yeah, uh,
0: <laughs> I, that's, I, I think the bassoon is my favorite wind instrument. I, I can tell you that. I always know what the bassoon is doing when I'm writing for the orchestra because it, it can do everything. It can play beautiful melodies. It can really support the, the, the lower notes. So so definitely expect a cool cool bassoon part from
2: you know there there are so many questions that are being raised when it comes to um uh, is an orchestra uh, an essential service to a community, you know, are yeah. they actu- actually relevant? What's it going to take, you know, to get folks back into the concert hall after this is done or, or, or better mm-hmm. dealt with? You know, as someone who creates music as, as a composer, what do you think your role is in that larger conversation of, you know, whether or not these orchestral institutions are actually important, essential? I mean, we've gone, what, six, seven months without them at this point, right?
0: excellent question i think the first step and i'm I'm happy to to see that it's happening is uh to really make an effort to have a stronger online presence like uh, every orchestra i think it's been very shocking to a lot of orchestras to see like oh oh my goodness we don't have good video recordings or or any types of recordings to share so I, i'm i'm really hoping that that changes and that moving forward there's more, uh, you know, recordings of, of concerts and just sharing that content online, I think is super important. And I think just, yeah, this idea of having a, a, a stronger presence online and being more approachable and just, um, you know, taking the time and taking this as an opportunity to say, this is what we do, kind of reach out to people in a more intimate way. As I was saying, like, I, th- I think sometimes classical music is so complex and so difficult to execute on stage that we think sometimes as musicians that just getting a right performance is enough like if if we can get that Mahler symphony sounding good we're, we're doing great as an orchestra and I think that needs to change I think that that you know that idea of just uh performing repertoire repertoire at a very like Superhero kind of level is is not enough. I, I mean, we really have to make an effort to, you know, as you say, make ourselves relevant to to be approachable, to to be a part of the community, to le- really serve the community that we're playing for and making music for. So I so I think, um, one of the positive changes that I'm already seeing and that I have, hope to see more is that you know making, getting rid of this idea of that classical musicians and especially composers are like these heroes that, you know, these geniuses that live in this tower and they're writing music in isolation and like they're, you know, nobody can touch them. I'm I'm loving just seeing, you know, people coming out, making all of these interactions and and just being more approachable and, and like really breaking down that idea of like classical music being, you know, just for people that are like, have like superhero hearing and, you know, like are of a certain social class. I think, it's a great opportunity for orchestras to, you know, really, you know, wonder like, okay, who's our audience? Like, who are we really serving? How can we amplify that audience and how can we connect with them at a deeper level? And um, yeah, so that's my hope. And that's, I think my mission as a composer as well is um, I've been doing that a lot as well. Like I I actually starting, I started teaching orchestration online uh, and I, and I had, two groups of 50 students each from all Latin America. So I really created this community that, that I didn't know was out there that was interested in writing for the orchestra, really connecting with them, really sharing all of my experiences, um, working with orchestras, what it's like, how to do this. And that's been very, very gratifying Like to change um, that approach of just being super busy and writing and touring and really not not having time or, like, or not taking the time to interact with our community and our, our audience. And I, I've really been enjoying doing more of that, just being um, more approachable, more available for people to interact with and and kind of opening up these opportunities to um, have people learn about what I do and especially people that don't have access to the best education or, you know, that can't really take a good orchestration course at a university, you know, being able to take that with me and um, it 's been really great i've i 've been enjoying this this very strange time, and, but i 've been really making use of that and really asking that question like who 's our audience and why are we doing this and I think that 's important for for orchestras uh, you know the world over.
2: You know, the phrase um, black and brown is, is something that's become more and more common. You know, um, you know, mm. folks from the African diaspora and folks from Mexico and other uh, Latin American uh, countries. You know, we do have a lot of shared challenges, but many yeah. of our challenges are, are also uh, very different. So for the um, for the orchestra CEO or the or the artistic director, you know, Oh, that—that's listening. That may be listening. What do you have to say to them um, about the specific needs of Mexican American communities, specifically those, you know, on those border states? You know, we've talked a lot about the the melding of culture and the sort of juxtaposition of of, of different things. How do you think um, orchestras can serve the unique challenges of? Uh, Mexican-American people and, and and again like I said other folks from uh, Spanish-speaking uh, countries uh, th- throughout Central and uh, South America and, and North America too I suppose with Mexico
0: amazing question I think um, just take, like me be, being very honest as to how they approach their programming and how they're serving that community there's um, I see this tendency a lot of like just Doing what well, like one program of Latin music and just all dances, all flashy stuff, and then you're done for the year. Like that—that that was our program. That—that that was our way to, uh, you know, highlight our Mexican American community. But if you really want the the support and the and, you know the the love from those communities, they should be a part of your whole organization or your whole uh, thought process. Like every pro, not every program maybe, but most programs, you know, could include not just a Mexican piece, but but maybe a piece that honors that conversation between, uh, I mean, having just contemporary composers and having composers that really have a, an important message to say that, that is relevant for us. So I think um, just taking the time to, to be more thorough and, and more honest in the way that they're searching for repertoire, like not just checking a box, but really, you know, having, a deep conversation with the composer, like, um, what, what do you think about this collaboration? Do you like being in this program? What would you suggest? Are there other composers that you would, uh, would like us to hear? You know, that, that kind of honest feedback is very gratifying for composers like us. And I think the community can really tell when, when the orchestra or the organization is genuinely interested in, in what the composer is doing and, uh, for instance, I've I've been very lucky to work with the Los Angeles Chamber Orchestra. I think this is like my fourth year making music with them. So so that, those kinds of relationships where it's like, and you know, a recurring invitation, and you know, and you start to become a part of their community. You know, people can really tell like this orchestra is really interested in this composer and in and, and in the vision of this composer, and it was just not just a one-time thing, just to just to you know check a box, but it's really. Uh, I've been now involved in in so many conversations about programming and and it's, I think it's such an easy move. You know, it's, it's so easy. Composers, uh, you know, we love uh, speaking with orchestras and giving our input and our ideas. It's, it's so easy to reach out to us and and make that a part of your, um, the way that you program things and you think about the orchestra that I think I just encourage orchestras to do it more and that you just reach out and say, Hey, we're interested in this. We, and, and even being honest, like, hey, I don't know a, a lot about Mexican music. Could you point us to some good composers? Like, what, what do you think is would, would work nicely with this these other pieces that we're programming? Or sometimes sometimes, yeah, we, we as classical musicians, we have this mentality, like, oh, we know everything and we know the yeah. repertoire and we know what people need. Sometimes we don't, and something is it's it's just easier to say. Hey, could you just help us out? Like, this is what we're looking for, but we we don't really know exactly how to, or or even like how to um, publicize it. You know, like, does this poster look good? Like, is is this something that you know you think you know Mexican Americans would be interested in? Like, is is the phrasing of this okay? Do you can yeah? There's so many things that we we can just.
2: Are there are there program notes in spanish you know so something that yeah. is pretty easy
0: exactly exactly yeah, so I think it's
2: just being more open and more
0: um yeah just making it that part part of their process of as to how they program just reaching out to, and to different composers i I see um i don't know orchestras that like find one uh, african american composer and then that's that's it that that's their african-american you know composer that you've worked with and you know or 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 that this composer suggests other pieces but there's not a lot of other work done so um yeah that's another good point like just yeah. finding different composers for different seasons and not just going to your go-to latin composer or going to you know there's it's it's easy it's easy you, you just have to not be so lazy about it I think. yeah <laughs> yeah the, the
2: the 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 crossovers there are, are just so interesting to me you know I say you're allowed to program music you know outside of Black History Month that's black you know the, in, in the same that these orchestras are allowed to program music by Mexican Mexican composers other than Cinco de mayo or, or whatever exactly. you know <laughs>
0: exactly. I have a lot of Mexican sounding pieces and I have pieces that are more academic more like in the classical and that's okay too, you know. They, they yeah. should also be open to programming things that maybe don't sound ultra Mexican, but there are, that are that are written by a Mexican composer, and that's that's fine too, you know. Like and,
2: and it lacking that sound does not mean it's not Mexican, you know. Because exactly. if a Mexican per- person wrote it, everything about it is is Mexican. Yeah, that, that's a phenomenal exactly. point. Um, how how can uh, folks uh, get a hold of you? Um, keep up with this uh, new commission uh, and 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 uh, check out some of your other works.
0: Uh, through my website, which is my name, so JuanPabloContreras.com, and I'm also very active on Facebook, Instra- Instagram, and the handle is JP Composer. So I'm constantly posting uh, stuff, you know, works in progress, and I'm very, very connected with the community through social media. So, so yeah, I really encourage people to follow me and email me. You know, I'm, I'm always happy to have these kinds of conversations. So. Feel free to do that.
2: <laughs> well, uh, again, congratulations on the uh, commission. I'm going to try a little Spanish here, if that's okay. Uh, yeah. Muchas gracias por hablar conmigo. Did I do okay there? <laughs>
0: Excellent. Muchas gracias. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you so
2: much for speaking with me, Juan Pablo.
0: Thank you. It's been a pre- pleasure. Thanks for, for having me. And, and congrats on doing this this podcast. I mean, it's it's amazing work, and it's so important to open up these conversations in and about classical music to to the world and to have people see that hey classical music is is awesome it's new it has you know energy it has power and it has everything that you uh, you know search for in in what the music that you play in your car and 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 you know don't 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 be afraid to go to a classical music concert and enjoy this music which is so amazing and that can give you so many colors that you know hardly any other genre has so really yeah uh, congrats for for creating this space for people to find out about what makes this this music so special and why they should you know care about it and listen to it
2: yes one more time a a huge, muchos gracias to uh, Juan Pablo Contreras for uh, talking with us today. Um, a, a, as we uh, kind of mentioned before, we got into the interview. So, so much of that mirrors, you know, w- w- when it comes to you know the the challenges of Black classical musicians, Mexican classical musicians and composers, and you know, it, it kind of begs that question: who is who is in the way? Who who is in both of our way? And I think we we know the answer to that. Look, when when you have music like what he's talking about. And then the music that even uh, came before him, you know, we talked about um, the uh, Huapango. Mm-hmm. We, we talked about the, uh, the danzon a, a little bit, you know, the, um, the Arturo Marquez, Marquez. Yeah. you know, with all this fun and spicy and, and, and inspiring and engaging music. We just don't have time for Bach. And that's just my opinion. That's that's what undergirds. It's not about just erasing them for erasing them sake, but we don't have the time to even explore everything that we could. So why would we take you know any of that time to to, to not dig into uh, these composers and these aesthetics that actually speak to people's cultures who are around today? I think that was a great point that Juan Pablo was making. That it's not that Mozart is not beautiful, but the culture that that lived in doesn't exist in the same way. That right. you know the music that he. Wrote. Or movie music, or, or, or whatever. Yeah. But anyway, um, so be sure to go um, uh, check out um, what Juan Pablo is doing. I, I don't know what the Las Vegas Philharmonic um, is doing about Corona or, or any of that. I hope they're you know keeping it safe, but we'll keep everyone updated.
1: You know how we were talking about um, people outside of radio might not know the term day parting. Mm-hmm. Okay, so mm-hmm. we were talking about you play different music at different times of the day, the drive time has a different playlist than the late night, Yeah, you know, that's, you know, after hours you get some more of the adventurous stuff, you know, maybe you let some questionable language fall off, you know, fly off. What would you think about something like that? Where, you know, we we already are having a a larger imprint with this music through our streams and we have And now you're talking about radio. right? Right, Yeah, and we have dedicated web streams Right. So um, how do we m- make that
2: happen over the air? Like what comes through your radio dial? The, the, the gatekeepers and the people who think that's inappropriate getting out of the way. All right. How about we go ahead and um, get into the triloquy? <laughs> yes, I'm excited, too. <laughs> All right. Um, let's see. How about you? How about you go ahead? How about you go ahead? I know you have a, 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 a triloquy this week. Yeah,
1: quick shout-out to Rob Deemer because it was his Twitter feed that I found a post by Robert Komenyeki. I, I think is, uh, I know that I pronounced that wrong, but it says, I can't stop thinking about the multilayered stupidity and racism in this paragraph by Dr. Timothy Jackson to suggest that diversity in music academia could be achieved if only black families corrected their responsibilities and got their kids into classical
2: music now we're not going to sit here and read this whole thing but are there let's pick out a sentence in here that just kind of
1: as i see it take it from there from as i see it
2: okay so so this is a um so again this is in response to um uh, uh writings by this dr dr timothy jackson okay And it says Dr. Jackson going on blast. Just an excerpt. As I see it, a fundamental reason for the paucity of African-American women and men in the field of music theory is that few grow up in homes where classical music is profoundly valued, and therefore they like the necessary background. I mean, just that sentence... So so what are, what do we mean by classical music, first and foremost, you know, maybe they are listening to a classical music that is not, you know, from Western Europe. That does not mean that, you know, they aren't getting exposed to that. And on top of that, you know, blaming um, uh, the, the parents, you know, these parents who, you know, when when I was growing up, uh, my, my parents didn't have one hundred and two hundred and three hundred dollars to to pay for all of the music and band stuff that Absolutely I always not. needed, you know, but but that does not mean that it was you know, some fault of theirs. I mean, what, what, what are you pulling from this? You, you brought this for the triloquy. So. I did.
1: Um, it was this, this line sticks out for me too. Low socioeconomic status does not preclude any racial group from doing so, meaning participating in music, whatever. Poverty does not prevent setting priorities. Ooh. It is not solely a matter of money. All four of my grandparents were poor, working-class Jewish immigrants. Okay, now I used to do this. I used to say, now wait a minute, I had it tough. Yeah. Yeah. I did some tough stuff. Yeah. And I see that now.
2: This is this is the triloquy, okay? I'm gonna say this and leave it alone. I'm gonna read a little bit of that last sentence. All four of my grandparents were poor working class Jewish immigrants who have fled from Central and Eastern Europe to the United States and England with the clothes on their back, who spoke heavily accented English, which they wrote phonetically to the end of their lives. Okay, listen. So I understand that different communities, one of the communities that I happen to, you know, that happened to be mentioned in that sentence, you know, we're, we're not talking about diminishing those experiences, but the experiences are so much different. And I'm sorry, <laughs> yeah. it's just, it's a different world for a black person trying to survive, you know. It is not up to a parent to make sure that that child is listening to Beethoven and Mozart. I'm sorry.
1: Right. And so my take on it is, the number one key thing that I think that white folks who want to be an ally need to do is decenter yourself first off, because anytime you, you, you start think, saying things like, well, that doesn't make any sense to me. I had this sort of thing stacked against me and I turned out all right. You're not looking at it from the right point of view from the beginning.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, decenter yourself so um for my triloquy i gave um a little uh a little excerpt from again as as i described her one of my favorite composers Nicki minaj who is pregnant right now by the way according to the news so uh congrats to her how about we revisit that quote very quickly you gotta be careful when you pick fights something is bothering you inside that's your insecurity bothering you so what Nicki Minaj is talking about there, she's in an interview and, and um, you know, for, for folks in hip hop, you know, uh, years ago, it was all about Lil' Kim versus Nicki, you know, and, and, you know, seceding the throne, blah, blah, blah. Um, what Nicki was saying there was, you know, the, the longer excerpt of it was, look, I'm, I'm very respectful and, you know, I, I I give respect where it's due, but, but please give it back, you know, and, right. and, and don't underestimate, you know, my, my humanity thinking that you're just going <laughs> to to get this the soft side of it because she knows she knows where she came from and she can revert back to that now i bring that up to mention my triloquy and i'm gonna i'm gonna say this right now the only reason i'm not saying any names is because i am going to do um my side of 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 this anyway and and you'll understand here in a second so um you know i'm always getting recordings um uh cds in the mail uh digital files you know folks saying um you know what 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 if i you know what 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 if what if you can get my uh radio station you know like beyonce said i might get your song played on the radio station (laughs) um so it's a lot of that and and some of that has happened you know i I have been able to work with the uh, music programmers and and get that done so um someone reaches out to me um with their new recording and, and they're like Oh well you know I would love If we can incorporate this Yeah and I'm, I'm like That's great um, I'm very busy I'm backlogged I always have a lot going on But I will definitely Get to it As soon as I can Okay so A couple weeks go by I still haven't Gotten to it um, And then You know A couple more weeks Go by And I'm like Okay I finally have Some time to sit down And listen to this recording So I go into my email box To find the thread again To find the links And all that stuff And I see that this person Has responded to me um, Complaining oh so I guess you think that I'm one of the oppressors just because I'm not black um, I'm, my my music isn't worthy and it should be ignored you call yourself an agitator you don't really know how to agitate blah 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 you know so long story short this person's feelings was real hurt because no, I wait have you get had you gotten the recording yet no, I I did. But this person's <laughs> feelings was hurt because I didn't drop everything I was doing in that moment, you know, and and check this out. Even though I told him, you know, it's going to it's going to take a little bit of time, but we're here. So um, and, and by the way, I get to the recordings. I'm, I'm not going to describe the recordings, but um, let's but, but, you know, for, because, as I said, I am going to do my part to get these on the air. All I'm going to say is the recording of this whole CD features an instrument that data has proven folks don't like to listen to now that does not mean I am not going to try because I actually think the is a cool instrument oh and Con- I said it. there you here go we are and uh, Kanye was playing two of them <laughs> I forgot about that okay so so what so what is my point here what 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 is my point okay so as you know um, Nikki was saying uh in that clip you know there is something inside of some people that just comes out when they don't get exactly their way when i can't be in perfect servitude to um to to certain people's definitions of of shaking things up and and x y and z you know that that feeling of malice toward folks who name the oppressor and and who work against the oppressor you know that anger and 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 that frustration comes out and that's what happened here so listen i'm gonna i'm gonna do what i can to 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 get that music on because it's it's uh good music a lot of it uh, anyway there, there, there are tracks on it that i don't think necessarily work but um give, give us you know a, a little bit of of room and and more a little bit of respect look um a lot of us are busy we we are all busy we all have a lot going on um I don't know. I, I I get into the feeling of th- that I'm complaining and that I'm scolding and I'm not trying to scold anyone as Here's much the- as I'm saying I'm only a human. And it really hurts my feelings, you know, to see people upset with me when I'm out here, you know, really sacrificing all of myself, all of my free time for sure. this. And, and, and you're going to get upset with me because I couldn't turn around in, in an hour or a day or even a week. And then you're going to, you know, compound that with, you know, saying, oh, well, you must think I'm one of the oppressed. Or it's just because I'm white and blah blah blah. That sounds like some inner stuff that came out.
1: You know, I took a CD. No, I did. Yeah, I, I think I did take a CD from. I, I went out on one blind date with a woman that was in a band who was trying to get her band on the current. Yeah. Our, one of our sister stations, and yeah. I said, I'll do what I can. I'm not going to promise you anything. I, I I doubt they'll listen to it, but yeah, I'll take it. And then I went on vacation and I didn't respond and everything. And she was hot. She got really ticked off at me. She was very upset. And my response to her was, you are asking me for a favor and this is how you're acting? Well, I'm I'm not going to do anything
2: with it now. And, and and you know uh, another point that I think we have to make is that it's not like we're sitting in the studio with our records or our CDs or whatever. And we're no, just we're not making these, in. Choices. We you don't know, make we're, these choices. We know all these choices. We we there are hundreds of client stations that we work with at our jobs. You know, so there are things that have to be put in place in advance. And I will say again, I have gotten a lot of stuff on the radio. You know, people send me things that I have pushed on to our um, uh, music directors and and, and programmers and. and it comes through, but it just you know I, I have I have to go through the the red tape just like you had to go through the red tape of recording it, of getting the rights, of 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 getting the the CDs or whatever printed, you know, getting the the production done. You know, sometimes things take time, and it's and it's like that um, uh, on the other side of it. So um, I, I always welcome, you know, I think we need those new recordings, but you know, whether you're talking uh, about me, um, Scott, someone on, you know, your local. Radio radio station, even if you're working outside of music and are, and are looking for that, uh, bit of favor, you know, or, or that, or that hand up or, or the leg up or whatever, you know, um, if if is if it is a person that you respect and a and a person you know who whose work you think is uh, genuine and and real, just consider the fact that that is happening all the time, and yeah. and some of this stuff is just yeah. not overnight, you know. So that that's that's my words on that. I was I was, hey, I was overnight really upset. Su- an overnight success takes ten years. Oh yeah, I mean. Look, I I, I I love getting these recordings, and I, I feel like I'm repeating myself because I don't want it to sound like, oh, well, don't reach out to me and don't because no, I, I want that, but sometimes it just takes a little time, and I'm just asking for um, the bit of respect to um, to to be able to actually genuinely spend some time with this music and figure out what will be best for it. Who should I uh, pass it on to? Because I, you know, I also don't want to pass things on to my higher ups for it to just be pushed to the side. I have it die on the bottom. You know, Like uh, there are other people that I can, I can send it to. So that's all I'm asking. If you're reaching out for, um, to black folks, asking for uh, them to speak on this panel or for them to put this music on or, or do whatever, you know, you want them to do in this new world, you know, so-called new world where we're talking about race and, and trying to uh, shake things up, you know, we're, we're human. That's all I'm going to say. Remember that we're human. Remember that we have the same 24 hours in a day that you do and we're doing our best. I am anyway. To um, you know, Scott, to that woman who uh, was was upset with you, um, I guess I'll uh, if she's listening, I'll remind her that um, as you've reminded all of us, you're freshly manscaped, so you're ready to go. <laughs> See y'all next time.